maybe we could just immediately talk about what what's happened since since it's been um, screened in the UK is quite dramatic. Yeah, yeah. Um, the, the yeah, uh, absolutely. I, actually, there's there's also one thing just worth saying uh, before I say that. I mean, the film has had um, you know quite a substantial impact already. Um, the uh, Pret-a-Manger have completely changed their fish purchasing policies. They have taken some fish completely off their menu. They are only going to buy fish from sustainable sources. The big challenge for Pret-a-Manger is actually smoked salmon, all of which is, comes from not only from farmed smoked salmon, but also from one of the, the sort of the worst end of the spectrum. And that they sell, I think, about two tons of smoked salmon a week at Pret-a-Manger, so it's a big part of their business. But they've changed that, and they're as going a, to... As a direct result of yeah, seeing this Yeah, as a direct film. result of seeing this film. Yeah, direct. And I'm going to make this point more in, the, in a minute. Right. So that they've had... Uh, Marks and Spencer have changed their policy as well uh, to bring it up to the standard of the sort of industry leaders who are basically sort of waitros in the co-op. Um, the British government has decided that it will support the application to CITES to have bluefin tuna listed as a threatened species, which it had not previously done before. Um, so there are, and uh, Compass, the largest industrial caterer, has said that it will in future only buy sustainably sourced fish. So there's been, you know, substantial changes already. The thing that's very interesting for me as a person who's, you know, most of the films that I'm producer of are films that aim to have a social impact and to change you know, the world in which we live, is that all of this happened with the less than 8,000 people watching the film. Uh, Pret-a-Manger came, uh, the, uh, the, the guy who started Pret-a-Manger came to a private screening that we had before we had any public screenings. And, and, he, and he said, you know, he said, this is amazing, I knew nothing about this can you show it again next week to all of my senior managers? So we organized a screening for about 50 of his senior managers. And it was a result of that. They went away and said, right, we're going to change our policies on this. And so one of the things that's quite interesting for me is that nobody really needs to see a film like this uh, before you could change the world with it, as long as the nobody happens to include the people with the power. And it has been shown, I had a screening at Downing Street, um, 10 Downing Street the other week, uh, which Sarah Brown fixed for us. And you know, again, you know, there was a sort of lineup of, you know, the sort of, the sort of combination of people who were there because they were told to be there. There were people like me who were there because we'd never been to Dan Street before, and then, so we obviously were going to go. And then there were people there who went because they thought it was cool to be invited to Dan Street, and they were very rich and powerful. And again, you know, people, people, you know, quite important people in business and government went away and said we're going to have to do something about this. So, you know, it has had an amazing impact, but it's had it with a very, very few people watching the film. But a very which is targeted. for me, but a very targeted thing. But, and the thing for me is, you know, that's a big lesson, right? You know, that, that uh, the, I mean, look, I, there's, there's, I just quickly this, right? These are, these are the three figures that I like telling people about this at the moment, right? And the eight is the only number you've got to remember here. 8,000 people have seen the film. 
For every person who's seen the film, 800 people have heard of the film, right? That means that about 8% of the population have heard of the film. 92% of the British population do not even know this film exists. The other thing, as the producer, is that most people who saw the film paid £8 to see it. If you multiply 8,000 by 8, it's £64,000 gross revenue for the film. And I can tell you, you can't make a living as a producer on £64,000 of gross revenue. <laughs> well, For no, those of you who are thinking of becoming producers. But no, just the, the whole marketing. When, when the film was put out here, there was one day in the newspaper, Marks and Spencer's, yeah. the, the next day, Waitrose. Yeah. So you had yeah. an amazing campaign we did. that just Great. rolled out on yeah. the day. Yeah. Day. yeah, we were lucky here. Yeah. Yeah. Well, lucky. No, we planned that. We planned that. Yeah, yeah. We, I mean, look. I mean, we. You know, I, I think the thing is that. I mean, I don't know what your response to the film is, but when I when my, my sense about it is that well, I knew nothing about this subject when Claire Lewis, one of the producers, and Charles Clover came to see me and said, "You know, we've got this idea. Can you help us make it happen?" And I did say to them that I knew the one thing that wasn't going to happen is that. A broadcaster wasn't going to fund it because you know I could see that you know white Tory, eaten educated male aged 53 was not going to ever get any money from broadcast to make a film about fish. So that was the first thing I said. But I also said I really don't know anything about this subject, you know. And I went off and read Charles's book, and what I realised was I sort of knew there was a problem about fish, but I didn't realise how serious it was. And my sense is that most of the people who see the film have exactly the same response that they. We sort of knew this was serious, but we didn't realise just quite how serious it was. And I think, in terms of us, you know, in terms of the, you know, as promoting the film, that's why we were so lucky. I mean, we knew we had a great story here. The, the the idea, no fish in the sea by the middle of the century unless we do something about it. How's this happened? Who's to blame? And what do we do? That was right. So easy to express that idea to people. But also, so as a, as an audience member, so easy to say, okay, I can okay. actually do something. Yeah. I can act because you can go yeah. and watch The Age of Stupid, and yeah. you're like, oh my god, what do I do now? And there's and there's yeah. very clear kind of instructions. As yes, to, as that's to right. Your own yeah. personal responsibility. Yeah, well, that's that's right. Now, that, and, and actually, you know, as you mentioned that, I mean, I, one of the films that I previously uh, was executive producer was a film called Black Gold, which was a film about. Um, well, uh, some of you may have seen it. it's a film about the coffee trade and about, in particular, about what a bad deal Ethiopian coffee farmers get as a result of the world coffee market. And this, it, it was a you know quite a successful film in terms of the fact that you know it was a Sundance selected film, so that was great. And it was shown in cinemas. It's been shown on television, and we've shown quite a lot of DVDs. And Starbucks have increased their purchase of fair trade coffee from about 4% to 24% of their coffee purchasing, largely a result of our film. So, you know, it was a successful film. But the response we got when people saw this film was that they said, okay, I understand this, but what do I do? Right? They want, you know, they, they, they really wanted to know. And so I knew that the next film I made that was, had, you know, this sort of purpose had to unambiguously say at the end of it, this is what you can now do about it. So. You know, we, the, we, we had a lot of debate about what our three asks were at the end of that film. A lot of debate with our participants, a lot of debate with our consultants, a lot of debate within the team to get that particular formulation. But I did know that from the beginning, I was absolutely clear that this film would only work if people could go away from saying, OK, I know that's what I do now. That's right. Yeah. I mean, we can open it up as soon as somebody has a question. 
eventual cost of the film uh, came from the Channel 4 British Documentary Foundation. They were the first people we got money from and they got UK television rights for it. Uh, and well, Channel 4 have an option on the UK television rights and it will be on More 4 on the 20th of October, this two weeks time, two weeks today, in fact, right? Uh, and that was the first lump of money we got. And that was very important because and that was because that enabled us to sort of start work on it. Um, because I knew that if we spent our time waiting till we got all the money we needed, we'd never do it, right? So even though this was much less than we needed to make the film, we started work with that. And that also gave us the opportunity to sort of start raising money from private foundations. And of the, the remainder of the money, 10% of the money came um, in equity investment, restricted equity investment, i.e. people who will get their money back under certain circumstances. But 80% of the money came in really in grants. I mean, it's, I, for a variety of reasons, you know, this was my job was to organize the financing of it, that it's not always described as grants, but basically it's people who are never going to get their money back, right? And you saw at the end the people who funded it, and the largest single funder was an organization called the Waite Family Foundation, which is a big American private foundation that um, is committed to three things, archaeological uh, exploration, saving the oceans, and fighting violence against women, um, which reflect the interests of Ted Waite, who set it up in his two sisters, right? Uh, and that's how we got the money. So therefore, the fact that we've only had made, that we've only grossed 64,000 uh, pounds in the UK is not relevant to us because the vast majority of the money does not have to be repaid. However, having said that, I should say that even so, there are still quite substantial you know, unpaid wages um, of myself. Um, one of the producers, right? Uh, and that, but we do, have, of course, have all of the world rights in the film, uh, all of them, every single one, apart from UK television. And uh, you know, those are, you know, those are potentially quite valuable. Um, and we are gradually and, you know, carefully doing deals to exploit those rights, um, because. As you asked the question, I might as well give you a full answer. One of the things that I'd learned from previous films is that there's no single distributor in any country of the world that understands every distribution channel. So in America, we have five different companies. We have someone to do with American television, someone to do with American theatric, someone to do with American semi-theatric, someone to deal with American educational DVD, and someone to deal with retail DVD. Because there's no one company that understands these markets. So we've say in each we're segmenting the rights country by country, and we're segmenting them, you know, uh, distribution channel by distribution channel to maximise our revenue. Uh, 
as a result of what you learned from I've, you I've, doing, I've, doing I've, before. Gold. Yeah, yeah, that yeah, girl yeah. down Louis Me and Hepatitis C and you know and, and various other feature documentaries but I've that, done. That's yeah, yeah, I learned that. Yeah. Time, time uh, consuming. consuming. Yeah, you're right to about do that, that. Kind of macro. Yeah, it is. Macro. But you have a choice, don't you? You know, you can say to somebody, "You take the rights, world rights. You distribute them for us, or you represent us as sales agents, and then you never control it." Uh, and you get some money out of that, or you say, well, we'll control that ourselves and it's very time consuming, but we might get more money out of that. And we'll and have also, more impact. I mean, more people, yeah, see, more it. people yeah. see it because yeah. that's the worry. You know, what happened with Black Gold was that in some territories, we found the DVD rights were in the hands of people who didn't know how to, how to exploit DVD. And, what was the, and that is like such an important distribution channel for this sort of film, right? Uh, you know, more people will see it on television, always more people see it on television, but in terms of people who then want to use it, it's got to be available on DVD and it's in the hands of people who don't know how to distribute DVD. There's no point in having the film. So that was our calculation, yeah, that we and were going to do And here it, it will be soon on DVD? I mean, uh, Well, I'm talking to people in this country at the moment about that because I want to get the DVD release absolutely right. I mean, we are talking to Waitrose about selling it in Waitrose stores on the fish counter because I... <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, for those of you, absolutely. I, 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 I mean, I, you know, I, I don't know. For those of you, and I don't I know a sense of which of your filmmakers and which of your producers or aspiring producers. But you know, I, there is this one thing, just for the producers among you, that the I know. This is the thing I know that um, Walmart uh, moved uh, Axe, which is the international name for links, the young men's deodorant, from the deodorant shelves to the car parts department and they increased the sales by 30 percent and there and i thought this was a really interesting insight that you should put the product where the customer is not where the category is so there's no point in this film being in the dvd section there isn't a dvd section in waitrose incidentally because they pulled out of the market but there is a point in this film being in the fish section because actually the consumer for this film is a fish purchaser. And that's what, and if I can, that's what we're talking mm -hmm. about. So the DVD release is a bit conditional on Waitrose agreeing to put it in the fish department. Right, the total budget. Okay. Let me answer this question <laughs> carefully. Um, when we started work on it, the budget that we were working to was £550,000, um, which included, you know, margin and, you know, production fee and things like that. The eventual cost of the film was a million pounds. Uh, and the, uh, and that does not include the costs of supporting the film from uh, when it, I mean, it premiered at Sundance this year. And you, that does not include the cost of supporting the film subsequently, which runs to probably about a quarter of a million. You're kind of cash flowing at the moment. Well, no, we're raising, we've raised money to support the film as well. I mean, in addition to getting money to make the film, you know, we, we, there are people who understand that, and this is a, you know, a constant battle that we've got, there are people who understand that there's no point in making these films unless people see them and that you can't rely upon traditional distribution methods to get these sorts of films seen. 
Um, and so we've raised money for an educational campaign. It's, it's lots and lots of schools have seen this film already. We've got a whole string of school screen screenings coming up later this month. Um, and we are talking to somebody else about getting DVDs into schools. So, I mean, you know, the, we've, the, the, we, we, what we've done is we've gone to various funders and said, you know, we've got like Wales, when, we, when the film was released, which was in June, we got some money from a foundation in Wales simply to pay for the Welsh screening of the film, right? And we, well, for the Welsh press and publicity of the film. And so what we're doing is that we're going to, for in individual territories and for individual markets in those territories, if we can find foundations or funds that are willing to support the release of the film, we're raising money from them. And that's what, I mean, you know, it's still a struggle. I mean, the mm. truth of it is, even with all that money, it's still a struggle. I mean, you know, the American release cost us about 150,000, I think. And we, we, we made a mistake on the American release. We, we rushed it, we shouldn't have done it, but we didn't expect it to be such a successful film in this country, you see. We were shocked by that. Why did it double in, in its cost in the Well, there were three reasons for it. Um, one that I underbudgeted to start with, because if I hadn't done that, I would never. No, I just got to be cautious who's here, you know. But anyway, that I, because you know, if I hadn't done that, we would never have the confidence to start it. Uh, so I knew there was a degree of underbudgeting. Always knew that. All right. Uh, secondly, that it's much more expensive to make a film like this if you don't have all the money in the bank when you start. It takes much longer. You, you know, you, you know. I, I, I knew that I had to ensure that for that first 100,000, we filmed enough so that if we never raised any more money, I would have enough material to make a respectable half hour of television. Because I, I honestly, I could not with hand on heart go back to Jean Paul and say I've spent 100,000 pounds of your money, there's nothing to show for it, right? Now, that itself obviously meant that some of that, you know, we just, you spend money in a completely different way when you don't start with it in the bank, yeah? And thirdly, um, how can I put this? Um, you know, it's very hard to control uh, uh, this sort of film. I mean, what can you do? You've got, you know, it's a brilliant story. I mean, look at it, it's filmed all over the world. It's filmed under the oceans. You know, you need some of the most expensive equipment imaginable. You know, I, the, the people who we rented the, the lenses from, they must have made themselves you know, may pay for their Christmases for years to come on the amount of money I paid them. I, well, not, you know, that we paid them. You know, I mean, this is just a very, very expensive thing to do. Um, and that's why I said at the beginning, you know, I just sat in London wringing my hands. You know, I mean, what can you, you can't stop it. It's a sort of irresistible machine. And um, the, unfortunately, one of my co-producers, George Duffield, is an absolutely brilliant fundraiser. I mean, Absolutely brilliant, you know, make friends with him. Uh, and every time we ran short of money, he found somebody else to come up with it. So that's the reason why it cost that much. Can I, so Charles came to you with his book and his idea. Yeah, and then Charles you, and you Claire. Found the director then, or yeah. how did that work? Charles, claimed, Charles and Claire Lewis came to me. Uh, Claire had worked with Charles on something else and said, you know, we'd like to make a film about this book. And, and you know, and as I said, you know, I said, fine, I agree, but don't even think in terms of television. You know, we've got to do this differently. Uh, and then, in parallel, uh, Rupert, who's been obsessed with this subject, approached Charles. Oh, okay. And Rupert's previous film, which some of you may have seen, Unknown White Male, was a Oscar 
shortlisted film. I don't know why they haven't seen it. It's a fantastically interesting film about a man who loses his memory, a documentary. You know, and so Rupert had a, you know, a good reputation. Uh, it was a bankable reputation, anyway. I mean, I, a good reputation. I'm sorry, I don't want that to be misunderstood. You know, a bankable reputation. He's a, you, know, it's, it's a, you, know, you can see it. he's a great director. I mean, it's a tremendous piece of work. Um, and so that made it much easier, or a bit easier, anyway, to start raising the money. But, you know, it was, I mean, look, I mean, it, what actually it was fantastic fun raising the money for this. I mean, it like was the best thing, I can tell you, you know. But it was sort of seems in retrospect slightly scary, but, you know, at the time it was good fun. Yep. I just wanted to ask you, is this being translated into uh, non-English yep. uh, content? Absolutely. You were talking about Carla Bruni doing the voice. Yeah, well, there was a suggestion that Carla Bruni would do the voiceover, but then, unfortunately, her husband uh, sort of decided he wasn't going to say the bluefin tuna, so I think probably she wouldn't be the most popular person to choose. I mean, there's a bit of debate about... There is a separate discussion now about famous people doing that, but there was some meeting at which that was discussed. I mean, not just discussed, you know, so we had an introduction to it. Anyway, the answer to your question, yes, it is, yes. Um, and indeed, and that's, you know, that relates to, you know, to something I've just said, is we, you know, we raise money on each individual version of the film. So we've raised, we have raised money to have a German version, Portuguese, uh, French, we've just got some money for the French version, French and Spanish. Yeah, Spanish is a bit, we have got some money for Spanish. Spanish is a much more complicated issue for us. Um, but we are, there will be a Spanish version of the film, definitely. I mean, we've got the money for that. Um, the problem, the, the issues for us on Spanish is there are two types of Spanish. There's Latin, there's South American Spanish, and there's European Spanish. There, there is, and that means we do really need two different versions of the film. Uh, and that's an issue. Uh, there is... A belief, and we—I think I probably. Anyway, there's a view that if that we need to have a, it would be a help if we have a famous person narrating it in Spanish, in the same way we have quite a well-known person narrating it in English, um, and we're having finding that person's a bit of an issue. But you know, the, the, yes, there's going to be Spanish, and there's probably going to be Chinese as well. And we've—I've got some money to do a Chinese version. Um, we have separate issues about the distribution of that because. We can't distribute it in mainland China uh, because of the attack upon the Chinese fiddling of the figures, and I'm not willing to change the film to accommodate their feelings about it. Uh, so it may never be seen in China unless we can find a way of putting it on the internet and getting past, you know, whatever. No. But there will be a Chinese version of it as well. Uh, there's, a there's a Polish version already. Uh, there will be a Dutch version. Uh, that, uh, well, we haven't got any money yet for a Japanese version, but we're working on that. Yeah. So, you know, there will be in other languages, but, you know, we have to fund these things. They all have to be in, the, you know, my position on it, you know, is we'll do it if we can raise the money for it. If we can't, we won't. Yep. Do you think this is a new business model for funding documentaries in the future, or does it only work for campaigning films? Um, I think it only works. One is I'm not yet convinced it's a new business model. <laughs> uh, but, you know, come back to me on that. You know, obviously the answer to the question is that I believe it's capable of being one, and obviously that's what I'm trying to do. I've got half a dozen other projects of this sort all in production at the moment, and... They all have slightly unusual funding models to them. So obviously what I, I hope that I can demonstrate it is a new business model, uh, but I haven't got there yet. Uh, I do think that it's ex 
it does need to be a, basically though for a campaigning documentary you you know with you where because and the reason why I think that is because you can get things you can get money that doesn't have to be repaid for it and you can marshal um, a large unpaid marketing force in NGOs and campaigning groups that you can't for other things. So, you know, I, you know, I know, for example, that, you know, Touching the Void did not make, you know, any money for the producers and didn't make very much, well, he didn't make money. I mean, Kevin got paid, but he didn't make a lot out of it. I, I know that, uh, that Man on Wire has not made uh, any proper money for the producers. Uh, you know, this, so I, I think, and these are films that are expected to be commercially successful. I mean, there are some documentaries, you know, um, In the Shadow of the Moon, which is a film about the Apollo space missions, which that did make money for the producers, good money for the producers. Uh, but generally speaking, I don't think you can make money out of documentaries. But if it's a campaigning documentary where you get, you know, free money because it's a campaigning documentary, then I think there may be a possibility, yeah, of turning it into a sustainable business model, but I haven't got there yet. Open to suggestions from anybody with more and better experience than me. Yeah, sorry, and then you. You mentioned Sarkozy. I, I, yeah. I, before I, I saw didn't. the film. She mentioned Carla Bruni. Mm -hmm. Yes, and you mentioned Sarkozy. I mentioned as a husband, yeah, sorry, yes, I'm sorry. And I, I hadn't seen the movie, and, but I was aware of the vote. Yeah. And I was very, I was watching it, and what happened was that there was a lot of media about yeah. it before, yeah. and then suddenly it collapsed. Yeah, that's right. And yeah. what, what I, I always wondered what the hell happened. I, I mean, I, you know, I don't know. I mean, I can say I don't know and then shut up, or I can say I don't know and speculate, which is what I'm going to do. I think that you know that it was, there is a very powerful for reasons that are hard to explain. The fishing industry is a very powerful lobby in France, and why it's hard to explain is so few people. You know, depend on it. I mean, it's a minute number of people, but for some reason or another, it seems to exercise disproportionate power. And and I think, you know, that what happened was they got to him, you know, and they said, don't you understand? This is really bad. It's going to put us all out of business. I, and I don't know enough about French politics to know how damaging it would be if he lost support, you know, along the Mediterranean coast. But I mean, that that is, you know, Charles's view is just, that's what Charles says. He says, you know, Sarkozy himself understood the argument very well, and then a powerful lobby group got to him, so he changed his mind. Have you seen the film? Uh, not as far as I know. But that doesn't mean he hasn't seen it. But I don't. Yeah, yeah, it has been. I mean, the reason why this whole Carla Bruni thing came up was that because we had a special screening of the film with the Prince of, uh, Prince of Monaco, or whatever, the guy who runs Monaco, right? Who's fantastic on this issue, big, big campaigner, you know, and he's the man who's leading the campaign. And Carla Bruni was at the screening in Monaco, which is why there was a conversation with her about whether you would narrate the French version, blah, blah, blah. So I don't know whether he's seen it, but she has. Yes, and actually, to be fair, I did say you next, and then... <coughs> Okay, I was going to ask you about the, uh, you had a goal to, uh, with the film to, to put this view over the fish are going out of the sea. Yeah. Uh, I, let's just say I don't believe you, and I, and I, and I reckon you kind of like twisted the, the, the documentary to the story you want to make it. Yeah. Did you uh, script it? Uh, was it scripted before? And how long time did you spend in the edit room to get the story you wanted? Okay, well, I mean, the film is based on Charles's book. Right mm -hmm. now, you know, I've read Charles's book, um, and you know, Charles has a point of view. But you know, my view is that it's extremely well supported by the science and by the research. 
Um, and that you know, this is, we're not talking about you know some piece of junk science here. These are serious figures who spent their lives studying this matter. Now, it is true um, that you know there are some people who disagree with this research, and uh, you know one of them, <coughs> Ray Hilborn, is in the film when he says this is completely wrong. These people, I can't pronounce five words, but he says these people in their enthusiasm to look at particular areas have ignored the big picture or is it the other way around I can't remember what he says later he seems yeah. to agree and he then he of, seems to agree yeah. because, and in fact and I've read the whole of the transcript of the, of the interview with, with Hillborn because this was an issue for us you know and that I was very well let's be more fair about it <coughs> let's be fair about this uh, some of my colleagues were very keen that we put both sides of the argument and I didn't feel quite strongly about it but they did and so I've read the whole of the Hilborn interview and we absolutely represent fairly what he says and even his position is ambiguous about it right? so <clears throat> in answer to your question that I don't you know the film was not scripted obviously because it was based on Charles's book and because Charles is such a main character it was influenced by his perspective and it, we would not have embarked upon making the film if we didn't agree with his argument. I mean, I wouldn't have been remotely interested myself in getting a film that said, on the one hand this, on the one hand that. I was only interested in a film that raised people's consciousness about of this so that it led to social action. That is my interest in it. That is what I'm interested in doing with films. So, you know, from that point of view, it was clear what the film was going to say. But, but I don't think it was that. That does not mean that we ignored, you know, the alternative argument or that we were pursuing something that was not a sustainable argument. And that, that's my answer to your point, anyway. Okay. And how long did right. time did it take in, in the edits? Did, uh, is it in the kind of like working okay. through? Well, now then, the editing took, you know, a long time. <laughs> I can't remember. Have you got Charles and the director in the edit Yeah, suite, no, we didn't. No. But it, it, was a, it did take a long time, the edit. I mean, the edit took a long time partly because, you know, for the reason that I gave, the answer I gave early, if you make a film in the way we made it, you know, everything is elongated anyway, right? Um, that the, uh, honestly, I can't remember when we started editing it, uh, but I, I think we must have been in the edit for, oh, I don't know, nine months, something like that, yeah. probably. Not, not continuously. Well, we were continuously in it. We probably didn't have the editor employed for nine months, but I think that's probably, but not far off, I think, not far off. I can't bear to say that actually. I can't bear even to remember that. <laughs> yeah, but it wasn't that we were in. It wasn't that we were. We, you know, there was a lot of because there was so much stuff. There was it? so much stuff. I mean, there's so much stuff was filmed. You know, we've made. You know, we've made um, <coughs> six ten-minute films from Babelgum out of the offcuts from this film, right? Which you can go. They're not just the offcuts. They have some of this film in, but they're just new. Ten, six, ten-minute films on Babelgum. You can go and have a look at, it, and it's got lots of material in that's not in this film. We've made a 15-minute film about the Coral Triangle. There's only about two minutes of the Coral Triangle, one minute of the Coral Triangle. We've made a 15-minute film about it. You can go and look at that. You can, that's going to be on Babelgum too. I mean, don't even go there with me. But, you know, we, there, is, there was vast quantities of material, and it was, a, and it is a tough thing. This is a very, you know, these films are, no film is easy to make, right? Uh, I know that. Uh, but these are particularly hard to make because... You, there is a journey. It's got all those things that you know films need, you know, jeopardy and all that stuff. But the journey is an intellectual journey in the head of the filmmaker and the head of the viewer, right? 
It's not, you're not with a little a community here watching something that happens to them over a period of time. You're not with a person, you know, who's struggling against this, that and the other and overcoming it or not overcoming it. You know, these, the journey in this is an intellectual journey and these are really hard films to make and we struggled and struggled and struggled and we had d different ways of presenting the argument, you know, different cuts, different stories, you know, until we got to this and that's why it took so long. Anyway, good, sir. Thank you. Um, yes, sir. Uh, the British government come come out of it rather well. Ben Bradshaw comes yeah. across as. I mean, um, was that? I mean, was there more? Because I, I remember years ago, I, I did a, I did a, a Radio Four program about over the quota, under the counter about fishing. Yeah. Where the British government uh, was doing very little in terms of policing. Yeah. Um, yeah, and coming yeah. into the waters, British waters. I mean. Were there any other targets you had apart from Britain as well? I mean, I noticed Mitsubishi come, come across quite yeah. badly in, in it. I mean, were there any other areas that you could have perhaps gone a bit to town on in terms of their... Oh, over, well, you know? we did. We've done enough filming in Cornwall to make a whole film about the evils of the Cornwall fishing and the Cornish fishing industry, right? Um, anyone want to buy it? We'll do it. <laughs> um, and the, um, which at one stage, you know, we thought was a very important part of the story. And then what happened is these guys were all charged and they all, you know, they went to court and they were all convicted and they're all fined and they all had their ships taken away, their boats taken away from them. Um, and I, you know, we abandoned that part of the film um, partly because it's, this is an international documentary. Right? This is, a, this is a problem that the world needs to confront. And it seemed to us that to tell this micro story about what was going on in Newlyn right, was, it didn't illuminate the big picture. I mean, obviously there's lots of micro stories in there. I mean, Senegal is a micro story, but that does illuminate. The whole of West um, Africa and the sort of. Yeah, yeah, but it does illuminate a big story, a massive, big international story, which is the way in which the West is taking the fish out of the seas, you know, of the poorer countries of the world. But actually, you know, some fishermen who were, they were breaking, you know, regular, they were in breach of all the regulations. They were catching fish they weren't allowed to catch. They were, dis, they were uh, misrecording what they caught. And too the, close. Yeah, yeah. All of that just seemed uh, to us to tell that story, you know, it was like, that was a UK story. You know, why would you want to spend your time, the 10 minutes of your life in the presence of a story about a little village in the UK that just told you something about what's wrong in the UK? So that was... You know, in a, you know, that's why that story is not in it. And I think that in, in answer to your general question, I mean, the North Sea and cod, I mean, this is a very complicated story. This is a complicated issue anyway, right? The whole question of the use of quotas in the North Sea and the throwing back of cod that are caught over quota is also very complicated. Um, we felt that that was a relatively well-trodden story. Um, and that it was not going to illuminate our understanding of the global picture. So it was chance that, that Bradshaw comes out of it well. It was not choice. Yeah. That's, uh, yeah. Yeah. I don't know the time frame exactly, but I was just wondering with this global perspective and also I was um, in view of the fact that the US Coast Guard and Army sort of seemed to come out quite well too whether Somalia, the pirates, were going on yeah. during, during filming, and if yeah. so, why were they not? Yeah. Was it yeah. too dangerous? Was it too No, crazy? no, no. I mean, first of all, that was an issue for us. Mm -hmm. uh, I think there was, it, it, 
it's um, it did blow up sort of quite late in the filming. Uh, there was uh, we had some debate about whether we should get that in the film, and my view was that if we had proper filmed material to tell that story, then we should have it in the film. But to have it in as a sort of throwaway line without proper investigation was not satisfactory. It, there are far too many throwaway lines in this film, some of which I've written myself, so I'm not just I'll own up to that. But you know, to make a sort of passing reference to that without proving the point seemed to me would weaken the film. That's a whole other film. Though. Yeah, that, and, and it's an important story. It's the elephant in and, the room. Yeah, 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 that's yeah, what, yeah. Well, it's it's one of the many elephants in or many the rooms, whale right? In the room. But maybe. you know, I think the thing is that another <laughs> way. Yeah, but so, but I think that when it became clear that that could be part of the film mm-hmm. was so late on in the right. process. That's why. Yeah, there was no way in which I felt we could. You know, it was like that would be another twenty-five thousand pounds mm-hmm. to film that properly. Fine. And put this in this film, and then we'd have to take something out. The film's already too long, right? So sure. we would, you know, and it was far too long, of course, at one stage. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the reason why it's not in, and I, and I, and I, and I, I you know, I agree. I mean, you can make a whole film about that. And I, I mean, I also slightly feel that you know, one of the the points, the obviously the point you made about Senegal is, you know, that the fish have a visa to come in, but the people don't. Right. You know. That, you know, and that, and I think no one watches this film and doesn't get this point, that it's our greed of taking those fish out of their seas that is one of the contributing factors that, to people in these countries wanting to come here. Migrate, yeah, yeah, yeah I mean, the, and, the, so, and I just think, mm. sort of my, my point was that, you know, I think that story tells that, and we, to take the pirating story, we would need to have the material as strong as that to make it. You can't just refer to it. You have to prove that this is the case, demonstrate this case. And we just didn't have the time right. to, at that stage to embark upon doing that. Sure. I mean, we have got lots of material, you know, the, as well as it happens in the, the, in the Mediterranean where the tuna are kept in these big... Um, farms. Yeah, tuna farms, exactly. Well, and, and, the, and, yep. and we, well, the other elephant is the mafia yep. around the yep. Mediterranean. Yeah, well, mm. we have quite a lot of material on that as well. Mm. Yeah. But, you know, you just have to make this choices, don't you, in this thing. So, so anyway. Malta being key. Yeah. Mm. yeah. There was someone here, I think. Did they have their hand up? Oh, no, no, there wasn't. No, that's fine. There you, sorry. Um, 82 minutes is an interesting length. I'm guessing that that felt like the natural length from the filmmaker's point of view, but did that make it difficult to distribute? It's not quite long enough for a full feature-length cinema release. It's a bit too long for television slots. Uh, it made no, it's made no problem. It's quite long enough for a cinema release, actually. It's not a problem at all. Um, and it is long. It's, it's Obviously, it's too long for a 90-minute uh, commercial television slot. So what? That doesn't matter. We, we found it no problem. We have a 52-minute version for those people who need an hour-long television version, and we've got a 23-minute version for people with very short attention spans. But the you know that the, the, this is this length has been of no problem at all. And I think, well, not I know this that the the what was one version of the film which I thought was the final version of the film, which was actually 79 minutes, and then Rupert had another go at it and came up with this and um, and so we, we went with this but it hasn't been a problem like the film no uh, yeah okay structuring of the documentary yeah. when you read the book you thought yeah. yes okay I'm going to go with this yeah. um, where did you know to go to f- film how did that process okay come about? well uh, you know we um, 
uh, we employed you know people to work on the film and we talked about it and West we talked to Charles a lot obviously and we had a assistant producer on it and uh, you know it's like any of these documentaries you you know you talk to a lot of people you go to a lot of places you know you sort of start honing it down to the places you think you do want us to film you know you filter it it's a filtering system i mean i we didn't do approach this any differently than i would have, than we did any other you know any factual film or documentary but, but you managed but, to get on board people like david Pauly to sort of be yeah i mean look i yeah that's right i mean we we it was an enormous advantage that chart that this book the, the, the film was based on Charles's book and that Charles was a key part of the pro because his book is what, you know, I mean, hardly anybody's read that. I mean, you know, I say only 8,000 people have seen the film, but it's a lot more than people have read the book, right? Uh, and that the, but in Monday, in the industry, in this, in this community, you know, everybody knows about Charles's book and it's, you know, well regarded, you know, and he's really did his work on it. So that was an, there was no doubt that getting to all of these scientists was dead easy and, also, getting some of the money was easy, not easy, but easier than it might otherwise have been. So, you know, that, you know, I mean, it wasn't a big, you know, we had a long list of places, and there were many places that we didn't go to that we could have done, and places the director wanted to go to, and I said we couldn't afford. Um, and, but the, that process was no different, really, than any other documentary that we might have done. I mean, that was, yep, yeah, and then you, yeah. I'll hear you. Does the fact that the money, that the money is sort of drip fed, yeah. and it's a sort of campaigning documentary, means it was it was it un, did that mean you under researched it to begin with, and no. you had to sort of make do things as you go along, or you had enough money to just say this is this is this is how we want to do it? This, it, it, it One was, thing Krista does is research yeah. things. Yeah, <laughs> no, but, under, under research, well, no, it's, no, it's, no that's, problem that's, on that. It's not a criticism of intent. It's, it's, it's just a, a question about no, no, that's no, fine. No, funding I mean, ability. Honestly, really, it's not, yeah. No, no, no. I mean, yeah. it's, the, 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 the big cost in this is filming. I mean, just look at it. I mean, you can see this was not cheap, right? Uh, you know, there was no we, there was no sense in which this was under research as a result of lack of resource. Anyway, there was no yeah. lack of resource. It just came in yeah. an unusual way. You know. yeah, no, it wasn't suggested. Over the resource, at it, 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 it was just <laughs> seen, but you know, no, the tendency no. of campaigning I mean, not, films honestly, that where you're not. drip feeding the funding is no, you. That was anyway you can unequivocally you, you the, the, saying, the drip feeding. Yeah. I mean, look, the first lump of money was a hundred thousand pounds, yeah. right? So you know, it's not. Well, I'm not talking. I mean, most of the films I'm making, I'm making for less than a hundred thousand pounds. Never mind the first tranche. So you know, it was you know, the, the, there was plenty of money to do the research on this, right? There was plenty of money to make the film, as it turned out. There was no sense in which this film was damaged. The research or the quality of the information in this film was damaged by the way it was funded at all. No. What yeah. was it that you were hinting Sorry. that if you could sort of go Sorry, back go and get, get the money up front? Stop, go so if, if you were hinting, hinting at the beginning that if you could get the money up front, then you could, you would have done it in a different way. Well, How I'm would saying that it would have made have been it cheaper because yeah. the thing is that if you start, if we st if we'd yeah. started. You know, I reckon that the, really the film was going to cost us about 750, right? Thousand, right? Uh, but, you know, for the reasons that I've explained, it was quite important for us to think we could do it for 550, right? I'm not necessarily advising people that this is the way to make a film. I'm just telling you this is how we did it, <laughs> right? Uh, and so, and if we'd had that money in the bank, we would have had a much tighter schedule on it, yeah? We would have had, you know, that we do, you know, and we, 
that's the point, yeah? And we just said, this is the we've got the, this number of weeks, months it would have been to work to do the pre-production. We've got this number of months to do the production. We've got this number of months to do the edit. You know, that's what we're going to, this is what we're all going to work through. This is what people are going to be hired to do. But if you start, but if you don't start with, the, if you start with, with as we did with £100,000 in the bank, you can't do that. You can do that, but it's just to think something on a piece of paper, right? So uh, that's what I mean, is that it's just that so it... So there are bigger spaces between yeah, the work. Yeah, there is. You know, and people, we, there were people we laid off, you know, and then they came back and there were people we couldn't get to and said, oh, well, well, that's where we'll make the effort because we're doing something else. It just that, the, you know, that that's, the, that's the point that I'm making. All right? Yeah. Was it um, Charles and the book that was sort of, you know, the recognition... The recognition of the of the book, there was a sort of USP that helped you actually raise the money to make the film, uh, or was there anything else that helped you get money for this specific project rather than those bodies giving their money to other ecological films or causes or what have you? Both of those things. It was an enormous advantage that Charles had written this book. Um, the undoubtedly, some of the money came because. You know, it was based on his book, and we got the endorsement of some big NGOs because it was, you know, that we could then go around to funders and say, look, Oceana supports this film, right? And that was all to do with Charles. Uh, but I think we probably would have raised some of the money uh, even without that, just because of the subject matter, that this is the, the two largest funders were the Waite Family Foundation and Mar Viva. And these are big private foundations that are committed to saving the world's oceans. And I think any good, you know, any half credible film, or more than half, but you know, any, any good proposal for a film about it would have stood a good chance of getting their money. But I think, but I should say that the, in terms of getting the money from these foundations, in every single case, we had a, a personal introduction to these foundations. None of the money that we got from any of the foundations, those two big ones or the smaller ones, did we get as a result of sort of cold calling them or filling in an online application, right? I mean, I will tell this story because it's an entertaining story and I was enjoying telling it. Early on in the project, we were talking to, the, to WWF and um, about obviously because they're interested in this right subject and about where we should film and would they help us get there and all this sort of stuff. And at the end of the conversation, the, the AP was having this conversation with somebody at WWF and they said, you know, we're very interested in this film uh, and you know we're interested to hear about it and we might be interested in putting some money into it. Um, who do we talk to if you want to do that? And so she said, oh, I think you should talk to the executive producer. So this guy from WWF rings me up and says, you know. Can I, and I talked to him about it and I made the pitch to him about why it's important they should fund the film and what we're going to do with it and all that sort of stuff and go on at some length about this. And at the end of the conversation, he says, well, it's very, very interesting. He says, of course, he said, you don't realise this, but you, actually I do know you and you know me. And of course I thought, oh, fucking hell. <laughs> he, said, he, he said, I used to be an assistant cameraman uh, on a programme that you made about 15 years ago. And I said, well, he said, he, he said, I can't remember anything about the programme at all. All I can remember is we drank fantastically good wine at the end of every day. <laughs> and then I went and he said, why don't you come across to Geneva and meet our people? So I went across and they gave us $100,000. So treat the assistant cameraman well. Yeah.
that's my, that's my moral of that story. But I mean, that, the, but that was the, I mean, that was, you know, but all of the, all of the foundation money, we, there was, we had some special route into them. Um, so, you know, they were, you know, they, you know, they were interested in saving the oceans, but, you know, there had to be a reason, you know, there would need to be something extra why they were going to give their money to us to do it. So yeah. finding that route was part of the job. Of it is, absolutely. And for those people who are thinking of funding films in this way, that is one of the three lessons I've learned from this, yeah? You've got to find a special route to these foundations. You've got to have that. You may still have to fill in a form online, because which I did on one of these others. I did fill in the form, you know, they sent me the form to fill in. I looked at it, I thought, this doesn't look as though it's the right form, but I filled it in, sent it back to them, and they said, oh, actually, we sent you the wrong form. Could you send the, here's, could, could you fill in the right form? So I filled in the right, and they say, them, could you fill it in today? Because we're going on a holiday tomorrow. So I filled this form, I was away at some festival, film festival, and I would have much preferred to spend the evening drinking in the bar, but I had to fill in this form. And I emailed it to them at about midnight. And when I opened my emails in the morning, there was an email saying, yes, you can have the money. And I thought, yeah, that's the, that's, that's the business for me, I thought. So, but you know, the th you, you do have to fill in the forms, but you do need, that was one of the big things I learned from it. You do need special entry. Yeah. Um, uh, you knew from the beginning that you wanted it to be on the big screen and yeah. also that you were going to be distributing it Absolutely. across the world. Absolutely. And I'm wondering how that impacted on, on what you decided to shoot it on and, uh, and what you shot on. Well, uh, well, I can't answer the second question. I, I mean, it definitely, we were, we, we did want to shoot it and Rupert was absolutely adamant about this and rightly that we were going to shoot it on, you know, HD and this, and it's lots of it shot on Blu-ray, right? Um, and the, and I, I can't even begin to tell you what the lenses were and the, you know, all I just know, they were jolly expensive. So we, I mean, we, I know that's terrible. I'm things I can produce for Christ's sake, I'm not the director. You know, and that, but you know, we, we, we were always determined that it would be an international documentary that could be shown in cinemas and we would shoot it at the highest possible standards. Yeah, we were always certain about that. Maybe we just have one more question um, and then we can. Did you uh, did you have any funding? Sorry, I didn't I didn't get here at the beginning. Did you have any um, TV funding at all? Yeah. Well, the first first hundred the, 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 if you didn't I'll do it quick. But the Brit Dog is not TV. Well, it is because it comes with an, Channel Four have an option. Right, yeah, of course. No, I understand that. Right, but yeah. yeah, but, but no, it's no, still, was, other than it's that, still was, not no, that is the only TV that there's the only TV associated fund. There's no TV. We, I didn't want it. If I could avoid that was you know, intention. I, I mean, no, I, I don't hate it. But you know, <laughs> I, I, that's wrong. But I, you know, I didn't want to be in a position. Be constrained. We had to I did not want, Thank you so much. There you are. I did not want to be constrained by you know the commissioning editor's expectations of this. You know, you know, I wanted us to make you know a big international documentary that got to grips with an issue. I did not want to be told, you know, well, you know, who's the presenter, who's the presenter yeah. or I didn't want to be even told, you know, well, not lose me, but I didn't want the director to be told, you've got to go off and hang out with these people and you've got to turn this character into the main character of the film. There's nothing wrong with character-driven films at all. You know, I mean, for those of you who've seen Black Girl, they know it is that basically the narrative is driven by one person. There's nothing wrong with them, but it's not the only sort of film you can make in the world. Right? And it drives me mad that television, particularly American television, thinks it's the only sort of film that can be made. So I did not want to be caught in that trap, you know? And did you have any constraints from the NGOs? No, all? none whatsoever. None what I mean, 
Because they're not film they're people. Not, they're, you know. No, I mean, no, the, I the, the, the point we, I had, we had no constraint. I mean, you know, I, I, like, wasn't even like, you know, a quarter of a centimetre in which they would ever be allowed to even try to exercise any influence over it to start with. But, you know, because I, you know, I wouldn't have allowed that. But there was no even attempt by it. They understood the score. You know, we were, you know, they were partners in this venture in some ways. Um, but they exercised, nor did they, they did not seek... And if they had sought, they would not have any influence over it whatsoever. But they worked, some of them, I mean, Greenpeace and WWF have been fantastic for us in terms of getting the film out there and getting it shown and all of that sort of thing. And we got some money from WWF as well, as you saw. Yeah, so. Just, do you still eat bluefin tuna? No, I, well, I've never eaten bluefin tuna, but I do only, I mean, the problem with these films is they do, you know, I do only eat sustainable fish and nearly always little fish. And just to warn you, my next film yeah. <laughs> is called Plan Eat, which is about why we shouldn't eat so much meat. So eat your meat now. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Christine. Thank you. Wow. All right. Thank you. Pleasure.